Your spoken image is more than just the words you say. It's how you connect with your audience, how you convey your expertise, and it's how you leave a lasting impression. Hey there, this is April Lokar with Semi-Conventional, and I wanted to talk to you about your spoken image strategy. This is an offer that isn't just about refining your speaking skills. It's about aligning your message with your mission to create a meaningful impact. As part of your spoken image strategy, we start with a personalized strategy call. Your transformation really begins with this one-on-one strategy call where we get clear on your goals. We also align on the spoken image pillars that will streamline your talking points, ensuring every word you speak drives your vision forward. And then we have ongoing support as part of this as well. Your transformation doesn't stop at the end of the call. You'll then get two weeks of unlimited audio messaging support, and that gives you direct guidance from me as you refine and implement your strategy. So whether you have questions, need feedback, or just want to bounce ideas around, I am here to support you seamlessly. If you're an entrepreneur or a professional who has an upcoming speaking engagement or a networking event, if you aspire to be an impactful speaker in your industry, and if you see value in focusing and elevating a specific area of expertise in your business, we need to talk. If you're ready to speak with purpose and passion, book your spoken image strategy session today at semiconventional.com slash spoken image. Now back to the show. Have you hit the 15 year mark in your career? If so, you do not want to miss today's episode. Something unique that I've noticed when working with clients and when networking with other entrepreneurs and career professionals is that once we get to the middle of our career, we start wondering what's next. So you don't want to miss today's episode where we unpack what to do with all that experience you have. Before we get into that, I have some really exciting news to share with all of you, and you're going to hear it first. Now, ever since I decided that I wanted to start my own business in any way, shape, or form, I've had all sorts of people ask me about teaching a group class on public speaking. And I've always sort of pushed that to the back burner, thinking nobody really wants that because there's other things out there. You could join your local Toastmasters or any number of other things. But people that I know seem to want something more than that, something that doesn't just focus on your vocal technique, but focuses on your overall message and how you're presenting yourself when you're speaking, whether people can see you or not. So I'm excited to announce that I am offering a group cohort experience for people that want to improve not only their public speaking, but their message and how that gets delivered to their audience. So if this sounds like something you're interested in, check out semiconventional.com and you'll find the details under my services page. Spots are going to be very limited and this will likely be a few month commitment just so we can make sure we get you the results that you're looking for. So head to semiconventional.com and check it out. I'd love to see you there. Welcome to Her Spoken Image. I'm April Lokar, founder of Semi-Conventional and thought leadership consultant. 
Are you ready to make a greater impact using your unique perspective? I know what it's like to realize you're in the middle of your career and want to create a new path. I've pivoted from school teacher to corporate trainer to entrepreneur with lots of lessons learned along the way. If you want to use your authentic voice to speak up with confidence, you're going to love it here. Each episode, you'll get actionable tips to master public speaking like a pro while honing your spoken image so your message comes through loud and clear. And we'll do all this through a semi-conventional lens that blends a little tradition with a lot of feminist perspective. Sound good? Then let's get into it. So today we're talking about what I sort of consider a mid-career crisis. Now, it's not always quite mid-career. Sometimes it's a little bit earlier than that. But I'm really talking about the point in your career where you've gotten into what you're doing, you understand the scope of your job, your role, you've earned some expertise and some experience, and now you want to do something else with it. So that's what I'm dubbing a mid-career crisis. Sort of like a midlife crisis, but maybe not quite as serious or maybe more serious. It depends on how it's hitting you. So let's get into it. When I was working as a corporate trainer for a small family owned company, I started to get little inklings that I wanted to do something more. And those inklings were coming because I worked at a company that literally only had men in leadership. There were no women in higher up positions. And it just didn't seem like that was going to change in any way, shape or form. And the more you learn about me, the more you'll realize how problematic that was. I had great ideas for how we could improve lots of things. And many of the other women in customer service management did as well. And they just weren't taken seriously, any of our ideas. So it started to give me that impression that I needed to do something more. I wanted to have a greater impact. I wanted my ideas to be heard. So I found another job that paid 50% more than my salary was at this company, which was pretty amazing. And I got the job. The downside was it was in downtown LA. And that ended up being really catastrophic for my family life at the time. But it helped me to see that if I wanted to have a greater impact, I had options. It wasn't hard for me to go get this job. I just had to put myself out there. So this job had a much higher pay. It had the title I was looking for as director of training for a well-known property. But then when I got into that job, it wasn't quite what I expected either. They wanted me to do all sorts of things that really didn't have anything to do with what I thought the job was. As their director of training, I was expecting to deliver training strategy. And that's really just not what they were looking for. So I also realized that maybe the job couldn't fix what I was looking for. Maybe I needed something else alongside my job, something that was just for me. So that's really when I decided I needed to step out and do something on my own that wasn't tied to an employer. Now, that choice is not for everyone. And I'm telling you this story because it's an example of how 
you can take your career and make modifications or additions to what it is that you're already doing and you're already enjoying. And if you're like me and want to have a greater impact, there's other options out there for you that don't involve switching jobs to find exactly the right thing. Now, in talking with a lot of other entrepreneurs and knowledge workers and just career professionals, the one thing that comes up for me all the time when I'm talking to people is that they sort of want to do something more with all of the experience that they've learned in their career thus far. Now, these are usually people somewhere in their late 30s to late 40s, sometimes early 50s. And I say that because it usually ends up being about 15 years into their career. So think about the point that you're at in your career. And I don't necessarily mean how long you've had all your jobs. I'm thinking more the actual career experience of your chosen profession. Like if you started out waiting tables for three years and then became an investment banker, I'm not talking about that first three years where you were waiting tables, which is all excellent experience, but not quite what we're talking about here. So about 15 years into your chosen profession, some interesting things really start to happen. You've learned the basics and started to find your own unique way of doing things. Uh, Usually people that I meet are the go-getters, the people that want to do interesting stuff with the knowledge that they've gained. So that 15-year mark means you've probably done things other people's way and learned a better way. And you've learned why your way is better. And now you really want to start communicating that to other people. You've also probably learned that most other people are also figuring it out as they go. This should not be a big secret, but it seems to be something that many of us and maybe most of us come to the conclusion of at some point in our career. Most other people are also figuring things out as they go. And that's not exclusive to entrepreneurship. It can be anywhere along business lines, whether you're in a corporate career, um, big or small, really. I think that was one of the biggest realizations for me is that by working for many different types of companies and seeing that people kind of are just people and we're all coming up with ideas and seeing if they work, that really made me realize my ideas are valuable too. And the other thing I realized is that I don't want to be doing exactly the same thing for another 15 minimum to like 30 more years of what I'm doing right now. I need something to be different, whether that's the job, the type of work, something has to change. And at that 15 year mark, it was probably closer to 13 years for me because that was pandemic times and I got laid off. So it was kind of pushed into making some of these realizations uh, when we were all sitting at home. But right around that mark of early mid-career, it hits for a lot of us. This 15-year itch where we think about what we're doing and how it's impacting other people and what else we could be doing, especially if you're working for someone else. You know, we sort of realize, hey, I could be doing more with this than just helping the stockholders earn more money, 
which is great. That's all part of business. No shade to the corporations. It's just that we sometimes realize in our own personal journey as an employee in those corporate jobs or careers that we could be making an even bigger impact. And so that's kind of where this 15-year itch comes in and you know, maybe a mid-career crisis, hopefully on the earlier side of mid-career, but it's a really good time to start exploring other things. So let's talk about what those other things might be. The number one Google search result that you're going to get for something like this is to start consulting or freelancing. And that's really a great way to go to get started sharing your knowledge and your expertise. There are a couple of things to keep in mind, especially if you are still working in a corporate job or getting paid by somebody else. You definitely want to make sure there's not a conflict of interest with clients that you're taking on and your, you know, intellectual property that you've created on the job. So check your HR handbook. Always just have a chat with them to make sure that you're on the up and up and that nothing bad happens because you decided to start doing something a little bit on the side. So with consulting and freelancing, those are similar, but slightly different. You can do Google searches on all this stuff. We're just talking high level here. But consulting and freelancing is really taking your knowledge and your expertise that you have gained over your career and teaching other people or providing that same service to others outside of the company that's paying you on a salaried basis or hourly, depending on what type of work you're doing. So it's kind of taking those skills that you already have and doing them elsewhere, right? Uh, In more of a short-term engagement. Now, something else to keep in mind if you start consulting and freelancing is making sure you charge enough. A huge, huge aspect of making consulting and freelancing valuable for you is to charge enough for your services or your time. So just make sure to do some research around pricing. Don't simply price based on what other competitors are doing. Don't price based off of what other people on Upwork are doing, um, especially if you really have specialized expertise. Charge based on the value of your work, not necessarily in comparison to other people. I could have a whole conversation on pricing, but I'm not a sales coach, so I will let you find the right person for you on that. Hit me up in my email inbox, april at semiconventional.com, if you want some recommendations for sales coaches. So you could start consulting or freelancing as one route to do something more with your expertise. Another way you can go that I truly love, and many of you have probably consumed this type of content, is you could build digital products or courses, programs, ebooks, whatever you want to call it. We'll just sum all of that up as digital products, something that you don't have to be present to deliver to your customers. Now, one term that has been so overblown that it's just become its own kind of dirty word is passive income. While we all want passive income, Who doesn't want just money flowing straight to them without having to do any work? Most passive income has started off as some type of digital product or offering that requires a lot of upfront work and time and investment. So 
don't think of digital products as passive income yet. What I want you to think of digital products as is a way for you to get your expertise and your knowledge out there in the hands of people that need it at an accessible enough price point for them to get the knowledge and in a way that you don't have to trade your time for money. These are things that you build and then you deliver. And eventually you'll make some improvements or some updates, but you're not consistently spending time one-on-one with a client or delivering that service yourself. It's things that are much more automated. So digital courses are a huge part of that, which I love. That's been my career is in corporate training and learning and development. So I like a really good e-learning or video. That said, there's way more bad ones out there than there are good ones. Let's just be completely honest. The first thing that most people think of when you think of a bad e-learning are those sexual harassment required compliance trainings that everybody has to watch now, especially if you live in a state like California, where we have a lot of laws and regulations around how often we have to watch these. But with those compliance regulations, the content has gotten a lot better. I remember taking some of these trainings and having to deliver some of these trainings in person probably 12 or so years ago, and they were terrible. They were so bad. Horrible examples. They just did not resonate with anybody. The examples that they used to use in these courses were so outrageous that it really didn't drive the learning points home that all of these types of scenarios are judgment calls. They're very nuanced. So it's really hard to make training around something like that. But the industry has gotten better. That said, there's a lot of other e-learnings that are also just kind of boring. If you've ever been in a digital course that you thought, man, I just wish there was more to do here. A lot of times the designers of those courses have mistaken clicking for engagement. And with the age of social media, I think we've learned a lot of lessons about what's actual engagement. Just clicking through something does not mean your learner, your audience is engaged. It just means they're clicking. So if you're building a digital product, really think about different ways that you can engage your audience. It's a lot like what we talked about in episode two with storytelling. You're really trying to illustrate what's happening and what you want them to take away from this digital course. Not to mention using stories in your digital course can make the content way more engaging. Surprise, surprise. Also, much like our discussion on giving a really good presentation, keeping it focused is going to be super helpful for any digital product. Keeping the topic as specific as you possibly can will not only keep your content focused and to the point, but it will make it easier for you to sell because you already know who this is for and what they need. Now, a warning that I have to give you on building digital products, especially courses, is that if you don't have 10 people that you know will buy this immediately, do not build it. Selling digital courses is not what it used to be. 
And you really need to make sure that you have an audience that's willing to pay you money for your knowledge through a digital product. Especially if you're going to DIY your digital course, you 100% are going to treat it like a construction project. It's going to take you three times as long to complete as you thought, and it's going to cost you twice as much. Now, I don't say that to scare you off. I actually think it's just something that you need to have in mind when you go to DIY it. If you need a course done by a very specific date, please hire someone to help you. Of course, I can be that person to help you, but hire anybody that knows what they're doing to help you get your course done. Of course, hiring help will also cost you, but keep in mind that the whole goal of hiring someone to help you with this is they come in with the knowledge and the expertise of the learning platforms and how to set up your content. So you're not spending an hour and a half talking into your microphone when really five minute lessons at a time would have been more effective. They can also help you focus in your content. So you're not trying to build a big, huge course that's going to be hard to sell. So again, just keep that in mind when you are thinking about building digital products, especially a course. Now, if I've talked you out of building a digital course at this point in time, I want to just reiterate why it's so beneficial. A digital product can really give you that extra sense of validation that you can put out there to your audience, to your network, to your community that you know exactly what you're talking about. Hopefully you already have an audience, a network, a community that knows what you do, the types of things you talk about, what your expertise is. That way it'll be a lot easier for them to say, oh, well, that makes sense that they've packaged up their expertise into something that we can buy. So putting it in that digital product really helps to just give people a way to consume what you have to offer. And as long as you have a bit of an audience, it doesn't have to be a huge audience. We're not talking millions of subscribers on a YouTube channel, right? You just need to have a community of sorts that knows what you do and who you are and then market your expertise to them, right? That's what the digital product helps you do. You can do some marketing. You can have it on sale all the time without having to worry oh, do my kids have a bunch of activities going on next month so I can't do this live webinar or, you know, I have a vacation planned or I'm going to be in a busy season during my corporate job so I can't deliver these other things, right? It does give you that passive ability to sell something while you're doing other things. Again, I just don't want you to think of this as, hey, the money's going to come rolling in as soon as I throw a digital course out there because that's typically not what happens. And I want you to just be prepared for that. But again, it does sell while you sleep if you're doing it right. And it gives you some credibility to the thing that you're doing. Now, the third thing that I want to talk about as far as how to use your experience or your expertise is to become a speaker in your industry. And if you're thinking, I have a massive fear of public speaking, and there's no way that I could possibly get on a stage and deliver a talk about what I do, I would like you to consider that for just a moment. When I talk about being a speaker in your industry, it does not mean 
you have to do a TED Talk. It does not mean you have to be on a massive stage doing a keynote for thousands and thousands of people. Being a speaker in your industry could be webinars. It could be a recorded masterclass or workshop. It could be all virtual. It doesn't have to be you in person on a stage. It could also be you in person, but in a small group setting. Maybe you're going into other companies to speak on what it is that you know how to do. But if you do have a fear of public speaking, that is something we will need to address. I can help. Keep listening to Her Spoken Image for all the tips, all of the insight that I'm going to be sharing in upcoming episodes to help you with your public speaking. Or you can go to semiconventional.com and hire me to work with you one-on-one on your public speaking. This is such a critical step because it allows you to be able to deliver a lot of information to a lot of people without recording digital products and setting things up in a way that you need technology to be able to help you. Some people find the technology part really easy to set up for digital products and other people find that a big barrier. So being a speaker can be another option with a really low barrier to entry. All you really need is to find somewhere to talk to people and you can deliver a whole lot of information to them Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about what that information can look like. If you want to be seen as an authority and a thought leader on your topic, you really need to hone in on a couple of key areas or messages. Now, again, we're talking about having 15 years of experience or being mid-career. So you have a lot of knowledge to share. And I want you to hone in on just a couple of key areas or key messages that you can share that show your unique perspective on what it is that you do. For example, when I talk about public speaking, I am a big advocate for speaking without slides. That's unique because most people in the speaking and coaching industry want to have a big slide deck that has all their stuff on it And that's not my style. I don't think it's important. And I think it distracts you from being a great speaker. That's not for everybody, but the people that like that find me and they work with me. Another key message that I share is speaking in your authentic voice and not trying to over rehearse and sound super professional. If you listened to the last episode, you know what I'm talking about. So really dig into those couple of key areas that set you apart that are your own unique way of looking at all of the things in your industry. And here's the super secret tip. That unique perspective, that's what's going to get you booked into different speaking opportunities because everybody wants to hear something that's different that they can't just Google, right? One of the common areas that I focus on with clients when they are working on their public speaking is the nerves. And today's tip on the nerves is to make sure that your audience is walking away with value from what you have to say. As long as you sound like you, use some stories that relate to what it is that you're talking about and give them some value and something to walk away with, there's no need to be nervous. And quite honestly, 
I've had to put myself in this mindset when I first started speaking to larger groups. I would think about one of maybe the worst presentations that I had seen. And I would think to myself, I can do at least that bad, right? I can suck like they did. And those people got paid to give their presentation to my corporate company and to come in as a consultant. So I can at least be that bad. Now, maybe that psychology doesn't work for you. There's other things that we can do as well. But that one, I think, is a fun way to get started because it puts you in that mindset of, I don't have to be the best as long as I'm not super terrible, right? And other people are not great at this either, and they're still out there sharing their ideas. So why shouldn't I be out here sharing my ideas, right? Other people do it too. And other people are also scared of public speaking and they're nervous and you can hear the anxiety in their voice as they're on a stage and they get up there and do it anyways. When I talk with my kids, I talk with them about the definition of being brave and courageous. And we always say it's being scared and doing it anyways, right? That's being brave. So I want you to be brave and speak up in your next meeting or find a networking event that you can join and just introduce yourself to a bunch of people. That's going to help you to step out of your comfort zone if you have a really big fear of public speaking. Let's recap some of today's takeaways. If you are mid-career, somewhere around 15 years in, so early mid-career, you have so much experience. You have developed a unique perspective on what you do. And you might be at a point where you're looking for something bigger and you want to have a greater impact on even more people. There's lots of different ways that you can go about doing that. My top recommendations are to start consulting or freelancing, build some type of digital product, or become a speaker in your industry. And again, if you're like me and like support and accountability in any of those things, go to semiconventional.com and book a discovery call so we can talk about where you want to go with all of your expertise and how we can turn you into a thought leader. We'll set you up so that you can have a greater impact on the world that you work in and maybe even beyond. Now get out there and share those ideas. I'm rooting for you. Before you go, thanks for listening. Hit that subscribe button, then leave a review so other aspiring thought leaders can find the show and hone their spoken image too. That's it for today. And remember, I'm rooting for you.